I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Four seasons, over 30 incredible guests, hundreds of podcast recommendations. I'm your host, Laura Whitmore, and in this special series of Castaway, we'll bring you the best bits from our back catalogue, sharing those golden castaway moments and throwing in those bingeable podcast picks we're all hungry for along the way. Welcome to Castaway, the best bits. Hello, podcast superfan, and welcome back to Castaway's Best Bits series. If you're someone who feels like you're cheating on music with podcasts, then look no further as we marry the best of both worlds with today's episode, exploring the very best music podcasts out there. Who better to kick things off than with the Radio 1 DJ and music guru, Clara Ampho, who joined us on season two of Castaway. A prolific person in the music scene, Clara naturally provided us with a couple of golden music podcasts, starting with Hip Hop Saved My Life. Here she explains why this made her list. I'm a big fan of Ramesh Ranganathan anyway, very funny man, but especially this particular one, because this is Hip Hop Saved My Life. I love this podcast so much. I mean, I love Ramesh. Ramesh is hilarious. I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, surprise, professional comedian. <laughs> Thank God, it'd be terrible if he wasn't. Right, right, right. But um, where did me and Ramesh first meet, actually? I can't remember where we first met. No, do you know what it was? I had listened to the podcast because I was such a fan. And I DM'd him straight up and I was like, yo, let me come on because I, I, I feel like I need to be on this. So wait, you listened, you listened to the podcast and yeah. that's how you, that's why you contacted him. Yeah, that's how we first I got chatting. That. That's how we first got chatting. I, I DM'd him and I was just like, your podcast is wicked. I think I'd added him in it because I'd shared the episode that I really enjoyed. And he was like, oh, thanks for the love. And I was like, yeah, uh, can I come on please? <laughs> just because I think it's, it's such a great concept. And for yeah. me, my favourite episodes of it are the ones where he's not talking to rappers when he's talking to people that you know that yeah on professional rappers I think for me those are the true gems because it's just such a great way to see how this art form has has related to different people like Edith Bowman's episode is is wicked Mm -hmm. there's a great episode with 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 Catherine Ryan which is really really good and it's just yeah it's just it's just such a great insight into people's again people's lives but just told via via this medium it's just it's just really really interesting. Yeah, as you said, you mentioned some people there that you necessarily wouldn't think would show up on a hip hop podcast, but also the power and influence of, of hip hop over the years. What hip hop artists have really influenced you? Oh, gosh. I mean, oh, so, so many. I mean, like hip hop music is just, it just means so much to me. Mm-hmm. It's just, well, it's, it, it's you know, it, it's poetry, it's political, it's party music, it's, it's date music, it can be whatever. And I think, you know, for a genre mm-hmm. that was called a fad, when it started, you know, so many naysayers and it has become a culture and a business that has, that has lasted over 30, like coming up to, yeah, 40 years. Like it's incredible, you know, do you know, the Jamie Redknapp episode was really good actually. <laughs> that was wicked again. Like his knowledge is like, mm-hmm. it was so surprising and so passionate and such a, it's such an enjoyable listener. And I, and I love how Ramesh like, brings that out of people, you know. 
and there was one I remember listening to, Ramesh and Dynamo. And it was just so interesting, mm-hmm. Dynamo growing up and how he always felt the outsider. And he was very badly bullied when he was younger. And then finding magic and also hip hop music and certain artists. And he was like, when you get, you know, when you kind of strip back the bullshit sometimes that's surrounded by hip hop and the bravado and, you know, the big cars and all that, like the actual meaning behind it. And there was like certain artists that really helped him kind of get through really tough stages in his life. And I I just actually kind of got me into hip hop artists that I didn't know about beforehand. And it's a brilliant listen. Some of my friends from school uh, who were... They were they were the cooler kids and just you know they were they always had like the coolest music and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. And I just wanted to be kind of part of that group, so I kind of adopted hip hop. Almost of forced that. yourself to like it. Yeah, yeah. But like then through it, um, I felt like I learned so much. Like because if you know the good artists, you know people even like Tupac, you know they it's very well read and you know yeah. he teaches but it's a lot of it's about history you know it's about you know you actually get to hear about what people are really going through if you li- if you listen past the you know the the cliches you know the, the swearing the talking about girls talking about you know yeah. what boring all that sort of stuff yeah. if not you actually, girls bitches man yeah. exactly yeah, yeah. you know if, if you listen if you kind of listen past that and find get to the good stuff then there's actually you know a lot of super intelligent people in hip hop that yeah. are worth learning from I mean my favourite artist today uh, at the moment was well, two but my favourite UK artist who is he just educates me all the time is Akala yeah 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 like yeah, you know if yeah. the kids at school it should be syllabus but they have to listen to Akala's yeah, yeah. five in the booth because like that's an education right yeah. there you know, well, I think still, even mm-hmm. though the culture has been around for so long, there is still this perception of bravado. But then, you know, that's born out of the fact that, you know, a lot of hip hop artists come from, you know, working class backgrounds or in some cases like extreme poverty. Mm-hmm. And it's that thing of like, OK, so when you when you make a bit of cash, you're going to show off. It's like, yeah, look, yeah. I made it. There's definitely also been a more conscious side, a more, a more mm-hmm. political side, a, a more romantic side, which doesn't always get the attention, you know, that... That, that pop culture likes to give like to the other side of things like you know it's so funny how it's trickled down so much of things that we say casually like even like the phrase like bling you know mm-hmm. you'll see that it's said on like QVC on the shopping channels like <laughs> that is so amazing and hilarious to me like that yeah. how, how this culture has affected a, a commercial shopping channel that is the incredible um, Ramesh Ranganathan and I think it's been going for yeah, about five years now that mm. podcast has been going for quite a while We can't have a best of music episode without referencing broadcaster and music lover Edith Bowman, who recommends Song Exploder in our conversation. Song Exploder unpicks each of the musical elements of songs with the artists themselves, which is an incredible way to geek out on music with your favourite artists. Here's the clip. We're going to come to the last podcast that you've recommended. Now, you give me such a mixture, but it feels like only fair that there'd be a music one here. And I want to talk about Song Exploder because it's a podcast. It's now a TV show, actually, on Netflix. It's mad how something goes from a podcast to like on Netflix. But tell me a little bit about Song Exploder, Edith. It's as simple as an artist takes one of their songs and sort of deconstructs it. And mm-hmm. it. I just find it really really interesting you know being a fan of music and what I love about this as well is that it's not driven by genre so it's not we only Mm -hmm. talk about this type of music which is really interesting because my kids don't know what genre is with relation to music because they you know they watch films so they're into everything from classical music to ACDC because that's a lot of the places that they discover music 
And I think that that's such a healthy way to approach music. So, you know, they have everybody mm-hmm. on from like Cat Stevens to Run the Jewels to they had Amy Mann on who d- dissected one which is a song that's on the Magnolia soundtrack, the Paul Thomas Anderson film. And it's just, I love it. There's no there's no host. It's just the artists. There obviously is someone in the background interviewing them, you know, asking the questions and, and getting what they need out of them for the, for the episode. But the way that they edit it, it's just the artists talking about their, their craft and how the song was made and how it was put together and the different versions that it went through and... There's a Fleetwood Mac episode as well, which is just, mm. oh my, I mean, it's it's so great. I think it's brilliant and it's it's quite meditative as well. So I kind of like listening to it when I, when I want to kind of chill out a bit, unless it's a kind of proper like banging tune and then you literally want to go raving afterwards. And really in the case of Fleetwood Mac, I mean, everything was so written on the sleeve, so to speak. I had broken up with Stevie at that point. John and Christine McVie, who had been married, had broken up. Three of those people were writers and were writing to each other. So, I mean, usually if you break up with somebody and you want closure, you know, you're going to not see them for a long time or maybe ever. And so there was this exercise of the making of rumors, especially, where you had to kind of compartmentalize everything. Writing the song and singing it required me to do that. I think it's really clever. And I think that, you know, I'm kind of of the mind as well now that I I kind of crave information about things. So I think taking things on surface value and as an entertainment thing is great. But then I also think that if something really resonates with you and you really connect with something, it's lovely to have an opportunity to to kind of deep dive into it. And I like hearing people talk about their craft as well. And I guess music critics dissect songs and we look at songs, but just to kind of have the artists themselves talk yeah. about the song and bring you on that journey. And it is a journey. It is a journey. Yeah. And it's it's not about it's not about critiquing something. It's not and it's no. you know, and, and also my whole thing with kind of critics is like, well, who gives you the right to say whether something's good or bad? You know, these people have yeah. have put their heart and soul into something. It's the same with like you know, when you, I mean, I've appeared so many times on like worst dress lists and it's like, well, who gives you the the right to kind yeah. of have that opinion about someone? You know, what do you think I left the house going, oh, I really hope I make it on a worst dress list today. It's like, no, I left the house feeling a million dollars. So, mm-hmm. you know, how dare you, you know, try and strip that away from someone. And I think that that's kind of one of the so I've got off a total tangent here, but I think that that's no, one of the important. one yeah. of the massive problems with our media is that yeah. people hide behind these kind of faceless digital platforms where they've got no comeback on it, and so mm-hmm. that frustrates me and infuriates me. And sometimes when you call people out about it, they're really surprised because they don't expect you to respond to something. But I think, mm-hmm. well, if you say something that can be hurtful and for for no reason whatsoever and you have really not put yourself in that position and how would you feel about it and that's what I kind of love about this is that there's none of that it's coming purely from where the artist intended the song to come from from Edith Bowman's recommendation to a recommendation about Edith Bowman's podcast from the one and only Dermot O'Leary. Now, Soundtracking is Edith's acclaimed podcast series that celebrates film scores and music from TV, speaking with the composers, writers and musicians behind some of the famous film scenes. Here's Dermot discussing what he loves so much about the show. We were talking about music and um, 
we're both huge music fans and the next is Edith Bowman's podcast Soundtracking which I love um, I'm a huge oh. Edith Bowman fan anyway because she started out MTV News which was yeah. my first job yeah. and I look I look to her as a huge role model as do I do to you as well and um, oh, I just love movies and I love the music side of things and with podcasts I didn't realise this because I remember she did something on Radio 6 uh-huh. similar to this yeah. and she said it just never really clicked with the yeah. audience so she just decided let's move this to which a different platform which is one of the reasons why I've picked this because it's, it's the podcast itself is brilliant yeah and Edith's a brilliant interviewer and the people she has uh, terrific and so she's obviously well respected because yeah. she gets those people but this this podcast is many many ways how she gets there and how she's got to making it the success it is and how respected it is is as interesting as the people she interviews mm-hmm. and as admirable as as the esteem that her guests hold her in mm-hmm. is how her tenacity and intelligence and fight in a time when it probably wasn't easy to get something like this off the ground mm-hmm. when no one's helping her mm-hmm. she completely did it off her own bat with a little microphone and turning up with you know wherever they were she'd go and interview them the wonderful thing about the world as it is at the moment is when I first started out in telly and maybe I still do I was all I wanted when I was in my twenties was I want a talk show, and that's that for me was the mecca. I want to talk. I, I desperately want to talk. Show. And then you get to an age and you go, you can't sit around and wait for this thing to come to you mm-hmm. by virtue of the fact you're on telly. Mm-hmm. You just got to go and if you want to be an interviewer and you want to be respected as an interviewer, just go and do it. And you know, Edith has that diktat where she's where this is a prime example of that where she's gone. I'm just going to make this content myself, mm-hmm. and. She started from the ground up with a good reputation and a uh, a respect as a good interviewer. But by God, look at it now. You know, she's flying. Mm-hmm. And it's such a, I suppose, specific niche as well. Um, and what I love as well, because a lot of these, especially with films coming out, I think she had Danny Boyle on when Trainspotting 2 came out. Yeah. And they must be doing the rounds, doing all the big interviews about the film. And then you can see the person being interviewed gets so excited because they're talking about the music or you know, not the same old questions that they're being asked everywhere else. Yeah, that's a really clever yeah. sort of editorial point, isn't it, mm. really? that she's, she's like, I remember I, I did one of the first ever pilot, uh, junkets I did uh, was for Rush Hour 2. But the whole thing was, I was doing like a, uh, pre me getting T4, I was mm-hmm. doing these little shows. I was on, when I was on like lunch, I was, I was a warm up guy mm-hmm. as well as a researcher. And then Andy Peters came on and saw me do warm up and said, listen, I think I've, I, I might be able to, I can't get you a job, but I can get you some screen tests. I'm Please start. tell me Andy Peters said he found you. Cause every time I meet Andy Peters, he says, I created that. I found that. He did to be fair. Uh, yes, yeah. he did. He definitely owns, I owe a big debt to Andy. And Andy said, look, I can't, um, I had a coffee with Andy mm-hmm. and, he, and he said, look, I can't give you a job, but I'll give you some screen tests. And I got this job and it was kind of a, a magazine sports show, me and Margarita Taylor. Mm. It was the first gig together. Uh, we were doing a piece on Jackie Chan and I went to this junket. Yeah. And the, the relief that I remember they felt when I walked in, I just wanted to talk about Jackie Chan. And they're like, oh God, thank God. It's not a question about my character or the yeah. action sequences I've got to do. And everyone just eulogised about Jackie Chan. And, mm-hmm. and and so I, I can, you know, I remember that stuck with me. Yeah. So it must be wonderful for Edith to go in and go, let's talk about, you know, Morricone or, <laughs> you know, yeah. and just be able to talk about the marvellous music. Something different for a change. And even, um, like, obviously Peaky Blinders is huge at the moment and she had um, Killian Murphy and Anthony Byrne. Yeah. It just makes you think of things differently because obviously the music used in that is like new artists against this kind of old school yeah. backdrop. Yeah, um, Nick Cave, the level yeah. Nick Cave is wonderful Killy 
Julian, welcome back to Soundtracking. Thank you. Anthony, welcome to Soundtracking. Thank you. I'm so excited about the new series of Peaky Blinders. I haven't seen a thing. Yes. So I'm coming to this blind in terms of where you are sonically with it. Yeah. But this is a series, obviously, historically, that has this amazing landscape of music attached to it. I guess the one thing that you can't change is that theme tune. Do you think of it as the Nick Cave tracks? I think so, yeah. Yeah, yeah. it is, isn't it? It's become it? part of the DNA of the show, I think. Mm. Yeah, it's iconic. Take a little walk to the edge of town and go across the track Where the viaduct looms like a bird of doom As it ships and cracks Where secrets lie in the border fires And the humming wires Yeah, man, you know you're never coming back Across the square, past the bridge Past the mills, past the stacks On a gathering storm comes a tall, handsome man In a dusty black coat with a red right hand on the music and when did you start thinking about music for this series what is your favourite soundtrack of all time uh, as in of you just a film of a film that doesn't have to be something the music, yeah, music from, from, a film. from a film yeah what a great question one of my favourite um, movies was Heat by Michael yeah. Mann's Heat and mm-hmm. Moby did a lot of the work on that and it's kind of a love letter to Los Angeles and for all its kind of faults and quirks and weirdnesses it's, it does the the thing about LA I love is the light, and actually this is, for the most part, quite a nocturnal film. But it's, but the way the music, I think I think Moby does most of the music. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I love about Moby, but it's not to change the subject. But you know he gives his music for free. Does if you really? make a short film or anything for any independent films, you can use any Moby track for free. It's a lovely interviewee, Moby. Yeah, really nice chap. It's a song. Those songs are so powerful. And I said, you'll hear that song somewhere look else. Now. Look it up now and see what it is. We can edit it in as though like you knew what it was. <laughs> <laughs> Not that I do that all the time. Kind of recording. Um, but then, you know, every time you hear that song, it'll bring you back to that particular moment uh, in that film. Yeah. Um, no, it's huge. Just speaking about films, I love. Uh, have you seen Gardens of the Galaxy? The soundtrack yes. of that. Oh, oh great soundtrack. Ooga chaka, Hooked on a feeling. Oh. I kind of tried to get away after I saw that the first time. I tried. I tried. What to- do you mean you tried to get away? tried to get away with oh I was like where are you going on my radio show I started putting like songs in and not claiming them as my own choices referencing and some guy just emailed some guy just t- tweeted in went you're just playing Guardian, <laughs> Guardians of the Galaxy soundtrack and I was like ah shit <laughs> you're totally busted smart move though I great selection yeah. great selection Ah, remember the days of mixed tapes, throwing us back to our teenage years with the help of Frankie Bridge. Next up, we're celebrating the brilliant podcast that is Teenage Mixtape with Joel Domit and Steve Dunn. It's a fantastic series drenched in nostalgia and the occasional improv session and well worth a listen. Music is such a huge part of your life from such a young age. How old were you when you knew you could sing? Oh, I don't know. I think um, I was probably about nine when I started stage school. So probably not really until then, to be honest. I think my parents were like, what? (laughs) 
where does that come from? Yeah, did anyone in your family sing? Did you come from a musical household? Um, my mum always played instruments, so she played mm-hmm. cello. Um, my aunt moved to like Florida when she was like 21 and she was always like a pub singer. So I think it's always been on my mum's side. Like my dad's side are completely tone deaf. It's horrendous. <laughs> uh, but my mum's side, yeah, like my nan and granddad were always singing. Not No one professionally, but you know, it mm. was more in their side. So, but also not pushy parents. So like I went to a local dance school and the dance teacher said to my parents, oh, I think you should send her to stage school. And then it kind of just kind of went from there. And how did Escob Juniors happen? Oh, they did like um, an open audition on CBBS with Escob Seven, mm-hmm. and um, I was like, "Oh, it's an open audition!" Because at that time, I was at a local stage school, and I was like, "It's going to be loads of people there." And the night before, Rochelle and I were like, "Let's just go." We asked our mum. So were you, and were were like, you friends Fine. at that stage? Yeah. So we went to the same stage school in Essex. Um, so we just decided the night before we had no songs practice, no dance routines practice. And our mums were like, okay, fine. So they took us and I think it was like 10,000 kids auditioned. Wow. Um, and there was like loads of stages you had to go through. And there was like kids practicing dance routines in the queue, kids doing the splits. And me and Rochelle were like trying to learn an S Club 7 song in time. And um, yeah, it was one of those things. And it was the first audition that I'd ever got through like I'd auditioned so many times for things and it was the first one that I got so it's pretty lucky I want to talk about a podcast now which connects really well to this time of your life um which is the teenage mixtape um oh, podcast yeah. and it's with comedians Joel Domit and Steve Dunn who are childhood besties and uh, similar <laughs> to like you and Rochelle growing up together and basically they talk about the music that got them through puberty and I guess when you were going through puberty you were creating your own music uh yeah it's weird a lot of the time that I experimented with like what music I liked and what I listened to and going to festivals and gigs and stuff was kind of between S Club Juniors and the Saturdays so it was kind of I think when I was like between about 16 and 18 I kind of I became a bit of an emo as (laughs) as they were called um and I got really into bands and I used to go to like Reading Festival every year and I I thought I was the coolest thing in the world yeah I used to mosh and all that stuff and so going on with Joel was quite nice because he's into a lot of that music and for me it's just really nostalgic like it just reminds me of a really fun I suppose carefree part of my life where I wasn't in the public eye and I could experiment because I hadn't been given the opportunity to do that really what type of bands were you listening to just give me names um well I loved people like Green Day and all that fallout boy but Paramore was like my ultimate like I just thought Hayley Williams was like just the ultimate human like she could hit notes while jumping around and she just was insane uh, it's a great, really fun harmonising game. Should we do it? Let's just do Should it. I start the note? You start the note. I'll start the note. You join in with yeah, the harmonised. Do you want to do, jump in second and jump? Yeah. Yeah. Sounds good. Uh, uh, yes! I mean, well, can I just say, at home, the word that we harmonise is chicken. So, <laughs> so there are four of us, which is great. Like a four-way harmony is so good. And... Um, so I will just be in the kitchen cooking and I go, chicken, chicken, chicken. <laughs> Amazing. Should we do a, com- a combination of meals? So if you say chicken, <laughs> okay. then I'll say oh. peas and then you say whatever I want. With and wait, it. Okay. go go minor oh. on the end. That's your. So I would go 
Chicken, you could go. Chicken, you could go. Chi- chicken, chicken. Oh. Okay. Right. Here we go. Okay. So you're so you're saying peas, are you? Yeah, I'm gonna add okay. something into the mix that I'm, I'm, I'm want chickening. with chicken. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Here we go. Chicken, potatoes. <laughs> I think this God, is a really I love fun it. game. I, hope I it can't believe you play the same game as we do. <laughs> oh, we love it. I do feel like you get insight into people when you know about their childhood and growing up. Like I felt like I was such a nerd growing up. And I was like, oh, just so uncool. But again, if I went to see, I remember going to see Green Day and I'm like, I am oh, the coolest chick in town. Yeah. And then I go back to my convent school that I went to. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think the geeking people are the ones that come out the coolest. Yeah, like, and yeah. that's what I wish you knew when you were younger. You're like, look, don't worry about being popular. Like, they're not the cool kids when you get older. It is really interesting listening to Teenage Mixtape because there's um, people like Paddy McGuinness, All Time Low, Davina McCall. And I'm really surprised at what some people listened to when they were growing up. And I think, ah, oh, yeah, you're just you're just human like the rest of us. You listen to some interesting tunes. Yeah, I know. I think it's funny. And I think you do, like you said, you do learn a lot about someone by learning what they listen to. And like I remember someone saying to me and Wayne once, one of our good friends, he was like, so how did you two end up together? Because like Wayne's a bit out there sometimes. And frankly, he seemed really like straight laced or whatever. And I was like, oh, really? And he was like, well, what was you like when you were younger? And I was like, well, I used to listen to like Under Oath and like screamo music. And I used to go to gigs and go in like mosh pits and stuff. And he was like, oh, okay, yeah, that makes sense. I was like, what? <laughs> he actually thought I was called an emu as well. He was like, what are those emus? <laughs> If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. From teenage mixtapes to teenage fantasy, I spoke with Irish heartthrob and superstar Niall Horan about his love of listening to George Ezra and Friends. George and his musician Friends cover everything from songwriting as well as the honest and relatable moments of struggle that come with massive success. Here's Niall talking about his own episode on the show. 
I'm a huge fan of George Ezra and Friends. Yeah. And I found it really interesting why George started doing that. Because mm. he was a fan of podcasts anyway. But he found it as a singer-songwriter, it was really helpful for him to talk to other singer-songwriters yeah. about their journey. Yeah. And um, I listened to your one. And it was really interesting because I heard you talking about things. I, you know, I've interviewed you before. I've seen your interviews before. And you talking about things that you've never talked about. Yeah. And even at one point, George asks you his your advice because he's about to do this O2 yeah, arena yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and all these different bigger gigs and he's asking your advice. And was it nice to kind of be interviewed by someone who is, I suppose, one of your peers? I absolutely loved that podcast. It was literally sat in this exact spot. You have to come to your house to pin you down. I've realised that. Yeah, that's honestly. What you if you're on do. podcast, they all happen at my kitchen <laughs> table. Um, you get tea, though, so that's good. <laughs> that's great. It does serve tea. Yeah, I loved it. Um, I loved that podcast anyway. I nearly kind of half put myself forward for it because I knew he was on the search for people to do it, you know? I just loved, the, you know, the personal side you get. To, like, I mean, you sit down with Elton John and, like, all these unbelievable artists and this, a side, hearing a side of Elton that you would never hear just because, you know, he keeps his lo- his life quite closed, rightly so. Same with Ed. And just have like a really, like, we literally just stuck microphones on our shirts and we just sat for two, like an hour and a half and just chatted. Like, I don't get, to, we don't get to do it a lot, really, but sit down with another artist and actually talk about how you write a song or, you know, your, your feelings towards fame and just general chit-chat that you don't really get to have with other people because you don't do the same job. Mm-hmm. Sitting down and actually having like a chat about music and things like that was, I just loved it. And I'm a huge fan of that podcast anyway. And you must spend a lot of your time, especially now, because, you know, we'll talk about the second album coming out this mm. month. It'll probably be out by the time this comes out. But um, doing a lot of promo, doing a lot of interviews, which are kind of the same, have to be the same, I suppose, because you're talking about different songs. But to have the environment, being in your house, having a chat where you don't feel as guarded, because you probably, you've probably learned over years to be a bit guarded in interviews. Yeah, yeah. I remember talking to someone about it before and, and I always like to say, to, like, yeah, I'm being myself in interviews. Mm. Like, and I, to an extent I am, but you'd never really actually fully give yourself away at all, do you? No, because your words get twisted or you'll say something and they'll take it out of context. But or... even even if they knew, even if you knew full short that, you, you know, mm. that it was never going to get twisted, you'd probably still have a little guard up, you know, and kind of, I like to call it like, red light syndrome you see the red light come on and you just turn into a different person in a way yeah. like a bit, bit less so now because I know you for 10 years but like it's there is something that you'll always have a guard up against it but the questions I mean I always remember a good interview like mm. even I did a day of promo last week and I can remember this one standout interview I did because it was based on it was actually a, someone genuinely asking me about my music and wanting to know about my life, like, maybe not wanting to know about my life, but le- definitely gave me that they idea. They pretended they wanted to know. <laughs> but I could tell it was never just going to be like a, yeah, yeah. a flash in the pan type story. It wasn't like a quick, the same, like, I mean, I could retweet a hundred articles right now that were written in the last couple of weeks about me that probably have the same answers just yeah. because you're asked the same questions and you literally had just have like bullet points that you hit. And you don't do even, you ever, you're subconsciously doing it. Do you ever forget in an interview, especially if you've done a junket or back to back, that mm. you're like, have I answered this question already? Am I, sorry, am I repeating myself? Like, have you ever, yeah, do you ever just kind of lose an interview where you're nearly, nearly on autopilot? Oh, 100%. Uh, you've, I've done it. Like, I've done junkets for movies, junkets for albums, junkets for all sorts. And it's just like, it's, yeah, you become, you nearly turn into a little bit of a robot, but, um, I try, like, I try and consciously think, you know, try and at least give, if you're going to say the same thing, like, at least give it a different angle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> you, can, you can easily run, or, run away with it and just turn it into a lot of blah, 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 but whatever. Um, we talk about that roller coaster at the start that has 
been nonstop. And it was interesting listening to Lewis Capaldi did George Ezra's podcast because yeah. both of them kind of got into it a bit different. You know, you're kind of all on the same level now, yeah. but you're you got into it differently. You you kind of were thrown into it and you were doing stadiums before you even did the smaller <laughs> venues. Like yeah, it's mad yeah. when you kind of look back at it. I do not deserve to have a number one for seven weeks. No one deserves to have a number one. No one deserves fuck all, I don't think. But like, no one deserves that. No one should have that. It's like an anomaly thing for me. Like, that will never happen again in my career. I, I, can, I can tell you that right now. And um, it was like that thing of the, the bigger it got, the more I felt like, oh fuck, this is, I mean, not that, this isn't like, I'm not, I shouldn't be doing, like, I mean, it was like this thing, and you go in and people are like, so how, like, you know, how is it, how do you write a hit? And you're like, fuck, what is it? I don't fucking know, do you know what I mean? It's like, and you just, it was so, it was so surreal. And I get it, like, even when we see backstage at festivals, and you fucking see, I don't know, your next door to like, Nile Rogers and fucking like, I don't know, fucking, like people like yourself and people like, I don't know, Jess Claire and the Cooks fucking Arctic Monkeys around the corner and you're just like, why the fuck am the I The thing is here? with someone like Noel Rogers, mm. is if you said, how do you write a hit? He'd be like, oh, it's simple, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But uh, it's like, it's just one of those things like, I just, even just being in that environment, I kind of like, I show up and I'm not showered, fucking yeah. disgusting. And I look around and everyone looks great and they're all fucking just, like, they're just like, it just feels to me in that environment like, I do it like a kid at his first day of school. Every time we go to festivals, I feel like it. But it's so, it's weird because that, for me, has gone. Mm. But it kind of almost happened overnight in the, and yeah. I miss it. Yeah. I miss the, not that I'm like, I don't walk onto a festival site like, here I am, here I am. Well, I don't know, I saw you transmitting. <laughs> <laughs> I'm bowling about. Uh, security guards or that. <laughs> there was uh, one thing which uh, you said, and it was, um, you have to have life experiences to write about stuff. And I suppose with One Direction, you were kind of doing album, 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 mm -hmm. album. There wasn't much gap in between. Yeah, yeah. Where were the life experiences? Just kind of like relationship stuff in, in, yeah. in between. You were but, gathering it, you know, and the gaps that we were, I was around here or whatever. You know, and you were just kind of picking bits and pieces. The, the, the real stuff I've noticed since I've like gone out on my own is and I've given myself time to write, to write albums. I found that since, since going out on my own, I can be a bit more... You know, I've been have been through relationships and gone out the back the other side of them and kind of taken my stories from there. And here's music obsessed Clara again with another fantastic recommendation. And the writer is, which celebrates the writers behind the songwriting. Check it out. So we're going to move on to your next one, which is also music influenced. <laughs> and the writer is with Ross Golan. And I didn't know who Ross was before this podcast. Yeah, but so he's he written for everybody. I absolutely love this podcast because, again, I think, you know, as, as a music lover, you know, music broadcaster, I've always been obsessed with songwriters mm -hmm. more than artists, actually, I would say, over the years, just because, you know, I mean, obviously there are artists who definitely write their own songs, but I think there are so many unsung heroes, no pun intended, who, yeah, who don't, who don't get the shine that they deserve. And, and to be honest, some of them don't want that, which is in itself really refreshing. But, you know, for me, I'm still somebody that has, even I've chucked out loads of my CDs, you know, rituals, was, was getting a CD and getting the notes and just like just scanning it to see who wrote what, 
who played the drums here. Thank you. That was always my favourite part of getting a CD. And I would love to kind of see like, the, you know, the repeated names mm-hmm. across different projects. Like, okay, so so-and-so produced that. Oh, and they worked on this album. Oh, and they wrote that. And I think, you know, this podcast is such a great celebration of that. And he, and he just speaks to absolutely everyone. And it's just, and it's just so cool. Like hearing all the stories behind like these, these big hits, you know, just to big up those people that don't always get the praise that, that they deserve. You mentioned the CDs thing there that you've gotten rid of. I've got so many CDs, Clara. I've got so many. I can't, they're like babies. I can't get rid of them. I don't listen to them. I I do. I still have a CD player and I still have a DVD player. I'm like old school, but I don't use them. And I'd like you, I love the sleeve. I remember the first thing I used to do when I'd buy an album was open the sleeve up, go through the thank yous, go through who wrote songs. I remember when Guy Chambers was really famous because he wrote all the songs with Robbie Mm. Williams. And he was like, oh, who is this super famous songwriter? And um I remember years ago when One Republic were were in the charts a lot and Ryan Tedder came on. But like Ryan Tedder is probably best known for writing Beyonce songs and Adele songs as much as his own band. And I became obsessed with songwriters. Exactly. That's the thing. And it's it's just, it's such a gift, like, you know, to be able to sing in itself is an amazing thing. But to put pen to paper, some people have got a God-given talent, like to pluck certain words together, form them into sentences that just make things that just imprint on us for life. It's amazing. I always wondered, though, do you ever think they get a bit pissed off? Like, imagine, like, writing a song for Dua Lipa and then she gets really famous with it and everyone knows that song and they all assume that she's written it because a lot of people assume that the artists write the songs Mm. Um, and a lot of the time they do but imagine doing that and then not getting the glory do you ever think I don't know I always think like do songwriters get a little bit pissed off because a lot of them started out wanting to be oh real talk oh absolutely I I definitely know songwriters who still absolutely want to be you know want to be artists and stars in their own Mm -hmm. right and and I completely get that because again it's like you've got this god-given talent and yeah you want to you want to get your you want to get your roses but then and I also know songwriters who are like, don't even look at me. Don't talk to me. Let me just, here's a song and go for it. And I'll tell you a great example of that. And she's only just really started coming out of her shell. I'm sure you know who I'm about to say, but um, Sia is a fantastic yes. example of that. You know, she was singing with Zero Seven for years, like very, very low key. You know, she was, she's been putting out music as a solo artist for ages, but was very much like, look, take my songs, but don't pay attention to me when I'm going to the shops. I'm not trying to be out here on a front cover of any magazine. I just want to write my songs, collect my check and mind my business. And like slowly but surely, she's been coming out of her shell, but even still she's got a wig covering her face. Yeah, and like, <laughs> you wouldn't, we'd have no idea who she was if she was walking down yeah. the groceries tonight. Like, no idea. Unless you're a super, super fan, you probably wouldn't even know it was her. And like, and I think that's pretty amazing. I think that's kind of magical, you know. But yeah, I can completely get and would understand like why some artists like still want to get their time to shine because again to write a song and to have it affect people mm-hmm. must be such an amazing feeling you want in on that <laughs> for sure the ego's then, like come on give me give me I know and like I'm looking at um, as I said Ross Golan um, who hosts The Writer Is this podcast like I, I wasn't familiar with the name but I'm looking at the list Clara of people you've worked with and, and I mean Demi Lovato Justin Bieber Nicki Minaj um, Keith Urban James Blunt CeeLo Green quite a mix of people and I love it because that's why no one says no to him when he, when he asks them to come <laughs> to come on the podcast. It's a safe space because I think, you know, the way he conducts the conversations, it's just yeah. it's very honest. It's very open. I think he understands that possible frustration with some of them, which is like, look, no, let me get some respect put on my name. I need people to know mm-hmm. that, that I did that. Julia Michaels. Um, Julia, like, because she's this incredible uh writer but she's this incredible artist i saw her perform the other night she was very kind and invited me up um when she was opening for for pink at the staples center 
we got up and did um, peer pressure. Um, so I've really experienced her fully as an artist now, as well as mainly beforehand experiencing her as a writer. And um, she's obviously very young in, in this whole experience. She's only like in her early 20s and um, she's achieved so much. So she's totally wise beyond her years. And we both meet brilliant writers who've been doing this for all sorts of numbers of years. But to find somebody so um, so talented and, and successful so young with such a wise head on her shoulders, she's taught me, even in the time I've known her, a lot about, I guess, what I want to do going forward and how I want to be as an artist and a writer. So, pretty indispensable. She's a huge heart. Yeah, She's like... big time. This is when podcasts and music really collide. Imagine hearing your own music being critiqued on a podcast. Jessie Ware experienced just that when a friend told her to listen to Keep It, the show about pop culture and politics. Here's her reaction and the clip in question. I love when people recommend podcasts I haven't listened to because I just add it mm-hmm. to my list. Uh, this is one called Keep It. There's a funny story about Keep It. Love a funny story. My friend, Samantha Morgan, who is the biggest mm-hmm. podcast nerd ever. She's brilliant. She gives me all my recommendations. She was like, babe, have you heard them discussing your album in this podcast? And I was like, I don't know what the podcast is. I don't know what you're talking about. She was like, there's been this huge discussion over whether your record is disco or not on this podcast. It's hysterical. And there's an amazing one liner. And I was like, okay, I'm going to listen to it. So basically it's a really interesting podcast presented by three people Mm -hmm. and it's American and they discuss lots of pop culture, politics. And for one of the times they were discussing my album. Now, It now makes sense because when I was doing press for a lot of kind of LGBT publications in America, there was one journalist that was like, listen, there's a big Twitter for all in the LGBT community with you about whether your album is disco or not. And I was like, really? People are discussing that? Okay, well, (laughs) it's not disco, but it's definitely got nods to disco. So then Mm -hmm. anyway, so then this was I I wondered whether it stemmed from this podcast because I'm sure they've got quite a big following. And so I listened to this thing out of complete intrigue to see what they said. And this host kind of talks about me and says, listen, like, Jessie Ware really liked her. Last two albums sucked. And I was like, is she going to write a new record that's going to be fucking dull? And then she does this one, and I'm like, yeah, it's cool. And then everyone's going crazy about it. And I just don't think it's disco. And they were having a right old chat, and it was brilliant. And they were discussing it, and I totally took both of their points. Anyway, it kind of ended, and one of them liked the record. One of them loved the record. And one was like, this is disco. How do you Anyway, it carried on to the next episode at the beginning. <laughs> and they were like... They were like, yeah, we've kind of gotten a bit of a debate about this record and blah, blah, blah. Anyway, then there was this one liner, and I'm probably going to say it wrong, but the guy says, Louis, if you can't dance to Mirage, you need to take a seat in McDonald's. And I kind of almost like wrote to them and was like, this is hysterical and I love this. Anyway, it just made me laugh. And so I started listening to them and they're, they're so brilliant. Even though one of them didn't like the last record, you know, win some, you lose some. But anyway, <laughs> it's very much, you know, current affairs, popular mm-hmm. culture and debating whether my record is disco. But I mean, it, it came from a place of kind of my friend saying this and then me thinking, wow, this is a really interesting podcast that everyone should give a listen to. Is Jessie Ware a dame? She better not be. I don't think she... <laughs> I do, I do think we should be referring to all British people, maybe even men and women, as dame all the time. It just works. <laughs> but um, to reiterate, last week I talked about Jesse Ware, the 
actually awesome artist. I don't mean to say I hate Jessie Ware or anything. I just don't find her new album danceable enough. And apparently people love dancing super fucking slow. I'm sorry. Like, that's the takeaway I get from all this uproar. (laughs) My only argument is that it is very much disco. It's just not dance disco. Now, you said that on Twitter, and I can tell you thought it sounded smart. What the fuck are you talking about? Disco is about dancing, sweetie. No, disco is about a sensuality. It is about a moment of escape from, you know, the torrential downpour of racism and bigotry and misogyny and everything else that is outside of the discotheque. And sometimes there is a low down beat in some disco music. And, you know, I think if you listen to some Once Upon a Time, a love trilogy by Donna Summer, those mm. aren't upbeat. Those aren't Giorgio Moroder giving you I Feel Love. Those are, you know, something sensual and I'm like... D- Ketamine. Uh, I feel like, okay, well, that's an interesting point. But I do feel like the Once Upon a Time era wouldn't necessarily come on at Studio 54, for example. I appreciate the lushness of the production of this album. I just don't think it being heralded as the dance moment we needed is quite accurate. I'm I'm not I'm not happy oh. with how it was reviewed basically. And okay. also people were trying to read me to filth for not knowing about disco. Honey, please come the fuck over here. I'll take you through the Bee Gees catalog. I'll take you through the Cheryl Lynn catalog. I'll take you through the Vicky Sue Robinson catalog. Come for me. What <laughs> white gaze specifically. Definitely send it to me. One of the things about podcasts when I talk about them in the past and a lot of them, it feels like you're listening to a conversation. It feels like even you mentioned the high-low earlier on, I feel like Pandora and Dolly are my mates and I'm suddenly part of this conversation. There's one thing like eavesdropping on a conversation about something. When you're eavesdropping on a conversation about yourself, <laughs> that just reminds yeah. me of like being in the school loo and hearing people talking about you outside. It's a very yeah. strange, surreal feeling, I'm guessing. Yeah, right. Because, I mean, look, in that situation, somebody wasn't such a fan. But however, I don't know whether my skin has just got thicker. And also, I think it was such an interesting debate they were having. I was really intrigued. But you're so right. And I mean, the thing is, like, anything goes in podcasts. So Mm -hmm. you don't know whether you're going to get ripped apart in one or not. I mean, you'd Mm -hmm. like to think you're not. But like, yeah, it's unfiltered, which is kind of the beauty of it. Thanks so much for tuning into the special episode of Castaway. Remember to tune in next Thursday for another edition covering a whole new selection of juicy podcasts. As always, we'd love you to rate, review, follow and subscribe. And I'll see you next time. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.